0: Okay, let's prepare ourselves this evening in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We don't ever have to be concerned or worry about getting your attention. We have it always. You care for us more than we can possibly know. You're full of grace and mercy. and You are a righteous God. You do not compromise your standards. It's because of your grace that we are not consumed. You've done everything for us in order to live the abundant life that You would have us live. But we recognize we cannot do that in spiritual ignorance. So we thank You for providing this place, Your Word, everything necessary for us to fulfill our mission, to grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray that You will help us to do just that. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I received an email today. It was, I guess it was more of an advertisement. Have any of you ever heard of Sam Andy Foods? And I don't know why I received this, but I read probably the first half of it wasn't even talking about their product. It was just talking about the situation worldwide. And I started thinking about how easy it is for us to take for granted so many blessings that God has given us. We have a very sophisticated system of delivering food and fuel, things that we need. And just like all sophisticated things, we live in a very sophisticated society. And when, when things are working right, it's wonderful. But it doesn't take much for things to go down. And there are no more shade tree mechanics that I'm aware of unless you have a computer in your closet and have all the sophisticated tools and so forth. We depend on that system. And some of the facts that were given in this article is somewhat, well, it was interesting, but I think it would be alarming to some people. Most people have less than a week of food in their in other words, they could maybe last a week. And the stores, some of them are restocked daily. And some of them, the more smaller ones, maybe three times a week. And when I say restock, that means that there has to be trucks. The system has to be in place. Computers have to be working. People have to be able to depend on uh, needing it now. They have to have it now. We go into the stores, uh, go into HEB and we uh, see the shelves stocked and just like so many of the grocery stores that we go into now, they have music playing, it's air conditioned and you have a choice of just about anything you can think of. We may not be real happy with the prices, but we, we have an abundance and we think normally that when we go to the store, it's always going to be that way. But it was pointing out that the fuel issue can become a crisis in a short period of time because the East, as you all know, is in what some may call flux, close to being a crisis situation, and that, of course, has everything to do with the supply of oil. And just about everything that we have or do is dependent upon oil. I mean, whether we have a, a quantity of it or not has a lot to do with, with how our standard of living is. And that can change overnight. I mean, it literally can. can it, it's just not that we go to the gas station and gas is another 10 cents higher than it was last week. That's what we've been experiencing But it could get a lot worse than that because everything in the farming, the petrochemicals, everything you can think of is usually tied to all in some form or fashion. So I guess what I'm doing is just telling you that we need to be thankful. We need to appreciate every single day that we have to where we still live lives that are somewhat normal. Whatever normal is, we're not in a crisis situation. The Bible gives us a day at a time. That's what the Bible says. I mean, we don't speak in years. We're given a day at a time. It's wonderful to see all these people here tonight. I mean, it just shows God's faithfulness. If people are hungry for God's Word, He is going to provide what is necessary to give you that Word. But there may be a time to where it's harder to meet This way. I mean, every time you go to fill up. I filled up, when was it, yesterday? And it was about $60. And my first car cost $180. That's three fill-ups. Things have changed. I guess what I'm trying to do more than anything is to encourage you and to implore you to be thankful. That seems to be one thing that, is scarce in this country, and it shouldn't be. And so every single day that we have, we need to be thankful. We're going to have a verse tonight that is going to talk about being thankful. Paul expresses his thanks in two verses in the epistles, in Thessalonians chapter 2, or Thessalonians Thessalonians 1, verse 2, we have a, a thanksgiving. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, chapter 13, He gives thanks again. He gives thanks for the people that they are believers. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, aren't you glad that we have, look at all these people here that are like-minded believers who are hungry for the Word. And there are people all over this country that don't have that. Not only in the world, but even in the, in this country. We ought to give thanks for God uh, to God for just this church family, this group of people. I get letters, I get emails, I get all kind of information from people across the country that say, "I wish we had a local church," and so they're reduced to getting it off the internet or getting it off uh, of uh, whatever apparatus they have. But it's not the same as being here, is it? There's something about being among other like-minded believers. That is a, an encouragement in itself let's open our Bibles to second Thessalonians chapter two. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going from one of the harder scriptures in in the Bible to understand and comprehend. And then we're talking uh, about verse 11 and 12. Then when we get to verse 13, there is a complete change, a major change in this epistle. He's changing Uh, his thought pattern completely. Verse 11. For this reason, the reason being because of their negative volition and they do not have the love for the truth, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. We've gone over... A lot of quotes, a lot of information about why God would do this. Essentially, God is giving them what they deserve, what they want. He is just. He is righteous in doing so. He is sovereign. It is His plan to do it. And so we're not to question that. It has nothing whatsoever to do with God impeding their positive volition. These are hard core, negative, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, and grace-rejecting people. They want to do it their way, and so God facilitates that. And that's something that we have to realize, that our God means business. And for those who are going to reject Him, He's not going to plead with them and beg them. They use their volition, the volition that God give them, gave, gives them, <coughs> and what we find is that they use it in order for their own destruction. Now, put something in Second Thessalonians, a bookmark, or something if you have it, <coughs> and turn to Psalm 18. This is where we ended last time. Psalm 18, verse 25 and 26. Psalm 18 in verse 25 With the kind thou dost show thyself kind With the blameless thou dost show thyself blameless With the pure thou dost show thyself pure and with the crooked thou dost show thyself, and then we had uh, several words here. I'll go ahead and put this on the board, astute, shrewd, forward, perverse, or tortuous i didn't I didn't look up the Hebrew word last time, and of course I get the question well what where which one do you think it is <laughs> so I was kind of caught on that one, so here we have it. the Hebrew word is patal p a t a l it's the Hithpa'el, singular, masculine, and it means twisted. That's the closest, I think, to what it means here is twisted. And I'm thinking about this. Isn't this, isn't this normal? Isn't this what you would expect of a God that is rational? If you're seeking Him and you're humble, what are you going to get? You're going to get grace. You're going to get mercy. You're going to get kindness. You're going to get all these things from Him. But if you want to box with Him, you're going to get something different. See, the the, the people, most people think, well, God is going to be uh, the old softy to those who are defiant, in-your-face, blaspheming and this type of thing, hardcore, negative, no. If you want to do that with God, then He's going to show Himself. Uh, he's going to, he has a side to where you're going to see His righteous indignation and giving these people what they want and this, some translations say strong delusion is in a sense part of punishment. Just don't ever get the idea that God has lost his concern for these people. Still, we have God would have all men to be saved. But those who are defiant, I, I, it, it's hard for me to have, there's a dichotomy. I told you this last time. The Word of God is alive and powerful, and it's more powerful than than anything else on in the universe as far as reaching in to where people really live in their souls and penetrating to where they can see truth. Now, what they do with that is up to them, but at least it gives them a dose of reality. Most people live their lives. They don't even think of God. They've got their issues. They've got their day planner, and it's full And they just go on their way. And sometimes God will bring about circumstances in order to get their attention. But God does not beg. He offers a free gift. But if you want to reject it and you want to defy Him and you want to get into wickedness, He allows you to do it, but it's at your own peril. And these people are going to, in the tribulation era, are going to be revealed probably more than any other time the height of their wickedness. They are going to accept and embrace and worship the Antichrist, Satan's man. And they are going to reject and despise and hate to the bitter end the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. And so God is going to punish them and He's going to give them what they want and it's going to, it's going to magnify all the evil And all that negative volition that they have. We went over these quotes already, I believe. Um, In our modern day, secularized, sophisticated, technically advanced in society, what one believes really doesn't matter much. That's what, I don't think we went over this part. Let's look at our verse again. Uh, We're back in... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. And for this reason, negative volition, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, nor that they may be judged. Who, Who did what? Who did not believe the truth. Look, it does not say that they may be judged for their sins, does it? Isn't that what most people think? The root cause is negative volition. These people are there, and they're going to receive this because they do not believe the truth. And you've heard from this pulpit over and over again how important it is to know what you believe and also to know why you believe it. What you believe matters. But today uh, we are in postmodernism, ecumenism, And most religions quickly point out that what you believe is of little importance. Few believers know why they believe what they believe. I mean, today it's, well, uh, I'm going to get to this in just a moment. We're uh, We're all going to the same place. We're all on the same path. We're just, I mean, we're all going to the same, we have the same destiny. We're just taking different paths to go there. Nothing but lies. And today, if you speak out on anything, but especially if you speak out on something that is from the Bible that is true, and you speak it dogmatically, and you say this is absolute, this is the Word of God, it changes not, and anybody that challenges it does so at their own peril. Just make a statement like that and get ready for the attacks. Postmodernism, is the idea that there are no absolutes and so many people, you have your truth and I have my truth, they have their truth, everything everybody has their own truth. That's rubbish. There's only one truth and it's what's in the Bible. It doesn't change. People today though, if you make an issue over doctrine, well you're divisive. You're not even loving. If you're really loved, you wouldn't be causing a stir. You wouldn't be causing trouble. We don't want to cause trouble. We would love to be in harmony with other people, but we never try to harmonize with other people at the expense of God's Word, at the expense of doctrine, never, because God will hold hold us accountable for that. One of Satan's biggest lies is that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are loyal to what you believe. There are several paths to God. Your path may be different from mine, but it doesn't matter because they both lead to God. True or false? That's, it's not only false, it's a crock. It's worse than that. How many of you know what John fourteen six is without looking? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people gnash their teeth at that. You don't change that. And the people who are going to have the strong delusion, the ones that are going to be in the tribulation, are going to say, you have your nerve. What makes you so correct? What makes you right and everybody else wrong? And the answer is the Word of God. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do when you make an issue of the Word of God? What are they going to do? They're going to attack the Word. They're going to say, oh, well, (laughs) that can mean anything you want it to mean. I've been teaching young people. When somebody attacks the Word, what's the first thing you do? Have you read it? What do you know about it? And watch them freeze in their tracks. Most, Most people that would make an issue over the Word know nothing or very little about it. And if they say that they've read it, okay, then what part do you disagree with? What part is in error? Don't be afraid to do that because their theology is a quarter of an inch deep and ten miles wide. In other words, they're blowhards. They don't know anything about the Word. Most people don't. And they want to be able to besmirch the Holy Scriptures and get by with it. Don't let them do it. Okay, have you read it? No. Well, maybe you better read it before you start tearing it apart. Or if you have read it, where is it? Show me where the contradiction is. You're afraid to do that, aren't you? Huh? Are you afraid to do that? You're afraid that they might come up with something, huh? (laughs) What if you have a Jehovah Witness? And he says, well, this, this, this Bible of ours really uh, isn't the right one. They have the New World Translation, which is a perversion. Are you talking to a Mormon? And they have the Book of Mormon, and they have the Pearl of Great Price, and they have Doctrine and Covenants. And they say, that's where the real truth is. And you say, what about the Bible? You know what they're going to say? Every time I've had this happen, they say, well, it's, it, it's the same as the Bible. I mean, they're all together. Okay, and what you want to do is say, if it's the same, let's go with the Bible. Don't argue about how foolish is it to argue about one of Satan's counterfeits? Just stick with the Bible. Most people think making an issue over a point of doctrine is unnecessary, and perhaps even it might even be rude. There's a prevalent idea that it is impolite to discuss religion or politics in mixed company. <laughs> Any company these days. Have you ever had that happen? I had someone say, Well, we don't talk about uh, religion. That's rude. I said, Where is that written? Is that in Emily Post? All I know is her name. I, don't see. I know she's, isn't she the uh, manners lady? When I was 12 years old, my dad tried to make me read the book, and i never forget the, the title. Elbows Off the Table was the name of it. And I would rather drink a gallon, of, a gallon of Paragark rather than read one page of Elbows Off the Table when I was 12 years old. I don't think I ever read it because I don't even know what it's, but I remember he was trying. He was making an effort. Whenever you have a chance, whenever the opportunity presents itself to where you can speak about God and His Word and truth, take it. You don't want to force it on anyone. If they don't want it, we don't beg them to listen and we don't force it on them. And if somebody says, well, we don't do that, uh, that's rude. Politics and religion isn't really something we should discuss. Oh, really? Where would you get that idea? Did you get that from the Bible? What do you know about the Bible? You're letting people off way too easy. All you do is ask them questions. You see the power of questions there? Our society and our language has become so sanitized by political correctness that most Christians have become intimidated and have lost their savor. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has become tasteless. How will it, if it, if it becomes uh, uh, tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. That's what most Christians are today. They are salt without flavor because they have succumbed to the political correctness and the multiculturalism and the postmodernism and the ecumenical movement that they are afraid to stand their ground and if someone gets upset, so be it. We don't want to argue with people, but we don't want to be doormats either. We don't want to run from people and be afraid to engage them Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Reason with them. They're not your enemy. They're in darkness. They're in spiritual darkness. And if you cowardly try to avoid those subjects, then God isn't going to be pleased with that. It takes discernment. You've got to know when to speak and when to shut up. But I think too many people lose opportunity because they don't engage in in uh, conversation with these people. So these are the people who are going to get the strong delusion from God because they richly deserve it. Now, are you ready for some controversy? <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I like controversy. In the Word, anyway because it gives us a chance to instruct others or at least to give light so that people can can understand. Does the deluding influence God is going to send mean that those who do not believe the gospel before the man of sin is revealed and who are therefore not caught up to meet the Lord at the rapture but still live on earth, does it mean that they cannot be saved after the man of lawlessness is revealed? Well, I don't want to come to Harry. I'm just reading the verse. Here's another one. Can people who recognize but knowingly reject the truth of the gospel before the rapture be saved after the rapture has taken place? Have you all ever heard this before? And they'll take this. This is one of the verses they use to say, "If you don't accept Jesus Christ before the rapture, and the rapture occurs, then you have there's no way that you can be saved." Well, I, I guess I already know where y'all stand on this because there are some who believe that rejecting the gospel before the tribulation will not. <clears throat> those who do that will not have a chance to believe believe the gospel during the tribulation. Now, here are some things to consider. This is a few points regarding this. I'm going to keep it down there because I don't want you to be reading the next point. The policy of God deluding stiff-necked Christ rejecters is nothing new. It can be found not only in the New Testament but also in the Old Testament. This is not the only place. 1 Kings chapter 22. I think it's around verse 17. Remember Micaiah? That God sent strong delusion, spirit of deception. That's in 1 Kings. And we also, uh, we had some uh, scriptures when we uh, first started this. One of them was in Isaiah. Same thing. Delusion. Giving them a, a spirit of delusion. So, this is not the first time this has taken place. No, So my point is, if this has happened previously in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, then it didn't mean that everyone that passed that point where God gave delusion could no longer accept the gospel, right? And that's one thing to consider. The rapture will no doubt... Convince many who are unbelievers to believe the validity of the gospel and the Bible. There's no doubt about that. There are going to be, uh, I'm going to show you in just a minute, there's going to be hundreds of thousands if not millions of believers during the tribulation. And no doubt the rapture itself is going to convince a a number of people, I don't know how many, but there are going to be those who say, they were right. I used to scoff at that, but where did they go? Where is everybody? That will certainly there will be believers there. There will be hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of believers in the tribulation. Where did they come from? The fact that they are in the tribulation means they either didn't hear the gospel, or they rejected the uh, the, uh, rejected the gospel prior to the tribulation. You understand what I'm saying? Everyone that is in the tribulation, once it starts, are are going to be unbelievers. But if they were a believer, they'd been taken in the rapture. So it starts with nothing but believers. I mean, excuse me, uh, unbelievers. So the point is, is they wouldn't be there unless they were an unbeliever. Now we live in a very sophisticated, like I was talking about a while ago, technically advanced society, and this isn't just in America; it's worldwide. How many people, uh, there's no way of knowing this, but I want you just to consider, how many people do you think around the world have never heard of Jesus Christ? Very few, right? Now, if they've heard of Jesus Christ, I don't know how many of them have gotten the gospel, but I would say probably a very large number have heard the gospel. I don't know what the percentage would be, but... It would be large, I would imagine. We have mission, uh, missionaries all over the world. The the airwaves are full of Christian radio. It's Christian on the, uh, on the Internet and on shortwave, TV, everywhere. And this is worldwide. Some places like China and others that try to block this, but they're not 100% successful. And they're not going to be. And why? If there is one person in China, and it might be in the middle of China, And they have positive volition at God consciousness. What's going to happen? God is going to get the gospel to those people. And in the process, there's going to probably be some who are going to hear it and reject it. So here's my point. Probably a large portion of those people who are in the tribulation, or will be in the tribulation, who are going to be believers probably have... Already rejected the the gospel. Um, Practically speaking, that seems like that would be the case. How about those 144,000 Jewish witnesses? Well, they were Jews, and I don't know what percentage here either it is, but I know it's a very small percentage of Jews are Messianic that there are Christians. It's a small number. And of 144,000, there are bound to be one that had rejected the gospel. Wouldn't you agree with that? So if there's one that can be saved after they have rejected the gospel, then that idea that they cannot be saved if they reject the gospel prior to the beginning of the tribulation just wasn't washed. All it would take is one. It seems exceedingly slim um, odds that no one in the tribulational period who believes in Jesus Christ never rejected the bo- the, the gospel before. And we're only talking about a separate not in that they. It's here. There's 2 Peter 3 9. the tribulational period, hunt forms very dead. They, they don't stay effective. That's going to play. You know, see strong So much scholarship issue left negative for them rather all time rejected Christ or rejected God. what uh, true, and I want to in order that would be that act of it I have these in the thing. are going to the I am just right. and So they're going to want to. that they get in him. True. Everything is for the you there a of they are inc are um, each other. But but they really don't uh, And is these times may be then the thing you may find is that when people are over in the uh mm-hmm. I suppose in force, and how many times, how much during but the real when you get to the real hard core sinning the one that is probably the hardest to deal with it's the moral degeneracy these people know that they're sinning that are in this immoral degeneracy they know a lot of them, a lot of them say yeah i'm going to hell they don't they don't even make a case for going to heaven but the ones that's the religious crowd that is in the moral degeneracy and that's the wickedness too and there are going to be those who are going to be doing that and here's the here's the dilemma they're going to have moral degeneracy while they're worshiping the antichrist can you imagine that they are going to to look down upon and scorn anyone that isn't worshiping him, they're going to think that they are uh, spiritual giants. They're the, the top of the mountain as far as uh, Christians are, or, or as far as not Christians, but religion. And so don't just think that the wickedness is the overt kind. It's this other kind, too, and what makes it worse is they are going to be hypocritical and self-righteous and despise others who don't do the same and they're worshiping the antichrist. You know what I would call that? Strong delusion. People reject God, who reject God are like, uh, <clears throat> like doing their own thing and take pleasure in doing whatever they want without constraints imposed by an authoritative God. They are mistaken to think that they are free. How many, how many people today are doing their own thing? Percentage-wise, I don't know, but I'm talking about leaving God and His Word out of it. Quite a few, right? And they take pleasure in doing that. That's what this verse is all about. And they think that they're free. They think, I'm not going to be shackled by an authoritative God that says, I can't drink, I can't fornicate, I can't dance, I can't lie, I can't do whatever I want to do. I want to do whatever I want to do. I am the king of my own castle. I'll do whatever I please. Some people might not be that overt in saying it, but that's their mindset, and they think that they've shackled them. I mean, they freed themselves from the shackles. Psalm chapter two. That's what Psalm t- chapter two is all about. But there. Let's go to Psalm chapter two for just one second. How many of you know what's about Psalm chapter two? Yeah. It's one of my favorites. Look at this. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The vain thing is that they can be happy, they can be free, they can get what they want apart from God. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. That is going to be the mindset, the attitude of those in the tribulation. We'll not have anything of this God. We have the one that's going to deliver us, the Antichrist. What does God do about this? Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. He's not wringing His hands over this. He laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And then you can go on. You see the attitude there, though. That's what these people, they're trying to, to avoid accountability. They don't want to be accountable. They think they're free. Here's the... I only have time to, to finish this. They are not free but enslaved by their old sin natures and their lust patterns. Many are addicted to alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, shopping, video games, telephones, and work. And that's the short list. You might be thinking, video games? I know of people, I know of husbands who don't work. They stay at home, and are addicted to video games. That's an addiction. Has any of you ever played, played Tetris on the, on the on Let me see your hand. How many of you have heard of Tetris? Okay, it's not bad. It's okay. I mean, <laughs> the reason I'm asking you is because that game is addictive, isn't it? Uh, you you wouldn't think so. This was, I don't know, this was 10 years ago whenever it came up or whatever. But you got you have a game and it, these things are falling down and you're trying to you, do this, that, and the other thing. And Carrie and I started playing that and I beat her. And then she stayed up till about 1 in the morning and beat me. You know, it was the, the scores posted and all this. And it, back and forth, back and forth. And I finally... Spent hours wasted. What is that? And I finally said, Hey, I've got things to do, put it aside, and went on. But some people can't do that. One of them I don't have on here gambling. People say, think, Well, the Lord is not for gambling, but I want to gamble. I like gambling, and I'm going to gamble. And they gamble their life away. They gamble their savings, their their money away, their family goes destitute. What I'm trying to say is that this wickedness is the other side of the coin of embracing the truth. And the people that don't have what you have, a relationship with God, where you talk to Him, where you depend upon Him, where you, you, you praise Him, and you give Him your most inner thoughts, they don't have that. Because they don't want accountability. And they think that they are free by not having accountability, but they are enslaved by their old, thin nature. And they don't know it. But they're never happy. They don't have what you have. They always have that hollow feeling. Aren't you glad that you have the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that you're connecting the dots and you see what it's all about? Here we are studying about something that is in the future. We don't know how far away in the future. And we're not even going to be here during this time when these people are going to have strong delusion and they are going to gravitate into wickedness. And yet we see more about God even in studying this, don't we? We see more about His character. We, we, we have more appreciation for what we have and what they don't have and we need to be bold to speak out and give them a give them the opportunity to hear it and if they want to change this change the subject if they don't want to hear it that's between them and the lord we need to look for opportunity i think the next let's see what we have here yeah uh, we're about to go to verse 13 but here's the last here's the last uh paragraph I have in verse 13. What they all really want, only God can give them. But since they have rejected Him, they frantically seek security, courage, fulfillment, peace, contentment, acceptance, happiness, and love where they can never get it. Isn't that a sad commentary? So many people are looking to other people to get these things. You cannot get security, courage, fulfillment, peace, contentment, accept, acceptance, happiness, and love from other people. You can get maybe a part of it. You may be able to get a temporary love, personal love, but as soon as you cross them, it's gone and they're gone. God doesn't change and we have all that. And you remember what I started this whole message, what was it about? Thanksgiving. Being thankful. And I am so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful for the Word. I'm thankful for all that He has done for me. And I'm thankful for you. That's where Paul is going next. Very next very next verse. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren. And that's where we'll begin next Tuesday. Let's close. Father, we realize that You are an awesome God and You are sovereign. And those who want to defy You will pay the ultimate price. We pray that You will give us courage, that You'll give us opportunity to speak to them, to tell them how great our God is and avoid what's coming. For it could be that many people that we talk to, that we come into contact with, may have to face this awful period of time. And for us to be able to deliver them through the gospel is just another manifestation of your mighty grace. So we pray that you will help us to be bold, give us discernment, and help us to redeem the time and make it count. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.